Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. (laughs) We're turning to scriptures right now. We're going to be in Exodus because we're going to learn more about Moses. Please turn to Exodus 14, starting at verse 26 to 31. Exodus 14, 26 to 31. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them all out into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one survived. But the Israelites, they went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power that the Lord had displayed against the Egyptians, The people feared the Lord, and they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. May the Lord bless you as you learn more from his word today about Moses and Jesus and God and all that they can do for each and every one of us. Good morning, church. All right. Thank you, Donna, for reading scripture. The book of Exodus, the Hebrew Bible calls it Shemot. But we know it as as Exodus. The word Exodus comes uh, from a Greek word um, that literally means the road out, the way out. So it means like departure, uh, even like sudden departure. This this idea of of Exodus, Exodus. Uh, one theologian pointed out to me. I'm just going to turn this down a smidge. Okay. Uh, one theologian pointed out to me. The concept of Exodus is all over the Bible. If we think about stories of deliverance, God bringing rescue, there's stories of faith, you know, like in the midst of, of danger, God brings help. He brings his salvation, his, his rescue. When it seems like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, God provides this third way out that was previously unknown. And of course, the gospel, the gospel itself is the good news of God bringing a spiritual exodus through Christ. He provides a way out of sin and death, and he provides a way into new life. And so uh, if you've been tracking with us, uh, we've been walking through the story of Moses and and, uh, Israelites and, and Egypt. Last week, we took a look at the plagues of Egypt, the ten strikes. Ten acts of judgment God brought against a wicked kingdom. And as we continue today, uh, we'll pick back up with the tenth plague. And we will see this this uh, more famous story in our Bibles, the great exodus of, of God's people. So as we listen into the story today, I want to encourage all of you to think about the gospel. Think about what it means for us today as as Christ followers, 
um, kick around some of these themes of deliverance, exodus, returning to God, finding, finding renewal, finding new life that God provides. So I would like to pray for us this morning, and then we'll, we'll get into our text. Uh, we'll be looking at Exodus 11 through 14 today. So we're covering a, a, lot, of, a lot of ground today. Uh, but first, let's just ask for one more blessing here from, from God. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, I ask that you would renew our vision. You would speak to our hearts, God. I ask that the story can come alive in our imaginations today. Uh, stories are important. It's, it's, how, uh, it's how we communicate. It's such a big part of our faith, leaning into the story, uh, wrestling with what you're up to, considering the implications for our lives. God, just bring it all together for us today in the name of of Jesus' precious name. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right, Exodus 11 to 14. Uh, with the 10th plague, God is bringing this more universal judgment. It's a threat to both Egypt and Israel. You may have noticed that, that um, God is going to strike down the firstborn male of, of both human and animals. Death is coming and unless you have a way out unless you have you know the the passcode unless you have a way to pass from death into life it's going to hit everywhere and so in our story god sends an angel of his judgment a messenger of of death some translations call it the destroyer right this grabs our attention what is what's going on here the the destroyer is sent to sweep across Egypt. And again, in previous plagues, God naturally just protected Israel. But this time, Israel is invited to participate. They're invited to trust God. And so God makes this, this promise to this group of uh, you know, slaves in a foreign country, and he he makes a promise with them with a sign of his covenant. So what's the sign? Every household, get a male lamb that is a year old, that's without defect. Slaughter the lamb. As, as Americans, we don't typically, you know, we're not exposed to slaughtering animals as much as, as the ancient folks here, but slaughter the lamb. Get the bowl of blood. Paint the blood on the doorpost. This is the, the instructions from Yahweh. One commentary pointed out, the movement of the arms would make a cross sign. Israel is invited to rely on God's promise of protection. The invite is to respond to God in obedient faith. God, I trust you. I'm trusting in this promise which this sign points to, when the destroyer sees the blood-smeared smeared doorpost, it will pass over. It will pass over and the people will be safe. Now, the way that Exodus is organized as, as a uh, literary unit here, the narrative is interrupted and we find out that God wants them to remember this night. Remember all of this. Okay, so let's ask, how do we get a bunch of ancient people, you know, these, these ancient people, they lived a long time ago, how do we get them to remember this great historical 
event? Would you write a book? Would you build a monument? Well, this is what God has in mind. He gives them a meal. He gives them a seven-day-long holiday. And then there's also a call for firstborn consecration. So let's talk about those three things here. Let's talk about the meal. On the night that Israel was delivered, God instructs Israel to roast this lamb. Okay? You don't just slaughter it for the blood, but you're going to roast it. You're going to eat it with bitter herbs. And you're going to make some bread with no yeast. Unleavened bread. Okay, there's, there's no time to let the dough rise. No yeast, you're making flatbread here. And these bitter herbs are symbolic for the bitterness of slavery. Also, God wants them to eat this meal very quickly. Be ready to go. You're getting ready to go on a, a journey into the wilderness. And so you're going to make this meal and eat it quickly. We are story-formed creatures. And so the experience and memory of this night, it's being linked up with this meal. And God wants this meal to be repeated. This story is to be retold and retold and retold. In short, the Passover meal, it's, it's an, an identity-forming meal. Also, for seven days, as they would continue this tradition you know, moving forward for seven days, they are to eat bread that is made with no yeast, also called unleavened bread. So on day one, remove all the yeast from your house and removing yeast. It's symbolic for removing sin, contamination. If there are things that are tripping you up, just go ahead and get them out. And so the meal, the meal points to redemption. I want you to get that. The meal points to redemption and removing yeast. That points to our sanctification, becoming holy, going on that journey of, of removing things that tangle us up. The wages of sin is death. And so remember this night that God passed over you, Israel. Remember how God saved you. Remember the immediacy of deliverance. Remember how you had to leave quickly and depend on God. And one more thing, God also bakes in this instruction of consecrating the firstborn. Whether it's human or animal, the firstborn is dedicated to God. Back in Exodus chapter 4, God refers to Israel as his firstborn son. Like Israel, this nation is the firstborn of all the nations. They belong to God. And so the consecration of the firstborn, it's a spiritual reminder that Israel belongs to God. And so with continuity down through the generations, God's being forward thinking here. Yeah, consecrate the firstborns. They belong to me, God says. It's out of a framework of grace and redemption. You get to consecrate, set apart your children. Parents are instructed to present their child to God, and they are to redeem or buy, buy them back through an offering. Later we find out it's five shekels. It's like an, an offering to the tabernacle, the temple. If you read the Christmas story, Mary and Joseph, 30 days after Jesus was born, what, what were they up to? They were doing this, right? Here's my son. He belongs to you. God, you alone, you have the power to, to give life. He belongs to you. 
And if anybody asks about this, point them back to the Exodus story. Okay? This isn't just for fun. It's not just for giggles. Point them back to the deliverance story, the redemption story. Share your testimony about how you and your family belong to God. So what is God up to here? Why not just rescue the people and be done with it? Well, God is a covenantal God. He, he wants to bind himself with the people. And that involves experiences. That involves relationship. That involves story. For 400 some years, these people, they've been strangers in a foreign land. And so God is going to remake them into a nation. God is going to give them a new identity now. And so starting with the meal, starting with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, the consecration of the firstborn, it all goes back to say this. Your national life, your worship life, your identity, it's all bound up with Yahweh who gives and redeems life. And they are on their way to the promised land. We have deliverance. We have blessing. God is forward thinking here. The redemption story is not just for now, but it's for future generations to know and experience as well. And so does it work? Well, yes, in faith, they actively put their trust in God. They paid attention. They listened. They, they did the thing. The tenth plague comes in the middle of the night. All those who aren't under the cover of blood Life is taken. Egypt is wailing. Finally, finally, Pharaoh lets the people go. This, this request that's been asked how many times now? Finally, it, it's in place. And the people, they're allowed to go immediately. The exodus, the exodus on the way out. We're told that the Israelites, they actually asked the Egyptians for stuff. Silver, gold, clothing, things like that. And what happened is God went before them and he already made the Egyptians okay with that. They were happy to give their stuff to the Israelites on their way out. It's the easiest plundering stories in the whole Bible. All they had to do was ask for the Egyptians' stuff. I saw an estimated number of about 2 million people are on the move. Two million people, droves and droves of animals, too. They also grab Joseph's bones. Who's Joseph? We'll go back and read Genesis. You'll, you'll see his story at the end of Genesis. He didn't want to stay buried in Egypt forever. He's like, when you all get out of here, take me with you. Take my bones with you. Two million people, lots of animals. They're plundering Egypt on their way out. A box of bones. They're on their way to the wilderness. Chapter 13, verse 17. So next, next in the narrative, we, we find out that the shortest route actually goes through some potentially hostile territory. Now, God just did like 10 acts of decreation. God just did amazing wonders signs and and these plagues right so so god just showed up in a powerful way but in his wisdom even though he just took down pharaoh god treats the next obstacle with a fresh look and god's like hey you know what if they face war right away they're going to run back to egypt and so in god's wisdom 
hear this. God knows that sometimes the long way around is the best option. And so God takes them down the desert road to the Sea of Reeds. R-E-E-D-S. The Sea of Reeds. During the day, God guides them with a pillar of cloud. And at nighttime, a pillar of fire. How cool would that be? To just see that. The revelation of God, God. God's cloud. God's fire. Guiding them. Guiding them on the desert road. So back at the palace, as an act of judgment, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And I just imagine he's looking around at his decimated kingdom. He's probably thinking, how in the world are we going to rebuild from this? Well, rebuilding takes a labor force. And a huge part of their labor force and economy just walked out. (laughs) And so, you know what? They changed their minds. Pharaoh and his officials, they changed their mind. Pharaoh, he he gets 600 of his best chariots, Exodus says, plus all the not-so-great chariots. We don't know how many chariots in total, but they all start bustling after Israel. They're chasing them down. We jump back to the Israelites. They're camping by a body of water, and they see this army of chariots coming towards them. So how would you feel? Okay, you just left a really bad situation, but somehow now it, it seems like, okay, you're, there's a body of water and there's like tanks coming after you. And it's like, how, how would you feel? Was the bad situation actually the better situation compared to this? Okay, how would you feel? The Bible tells us that they felt terrified. They actually cried out to God. But nevertheless, they turned to their leader. And this is the first time we we really see them grumble in the wilderness season of things. This long season that that it turns out to be. But they grumble against Moses. Exodus 14, 11 and 12. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. Didn't we tell you, Moses? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Well, that's fair, right? It would have been better to serve the Egyptians and have a chance to live versus dying right now. Okay? If we were making a movie, we zoom in on Moses, dramatic music a little bit, maybe a nice close-up on his face. He's not the isolated, insecure shepherd anymore. He speaks with confidence. He says, do not be afraid. Stand firm. You will see the deliverance of the Lord or the salvation of the Lord. The Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua. You will see the Yeshua of Yahweh. That sounds familiar. Jesus here in the Old Testament. You will see the Yeshua, the salvation, the deliverance of the Lord. That will happen. God will bring that to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And so Moses, he talks to God. 
And God's response is quite remarkable. He kind of says this. He says, stop praying and get moving. It's time to move. Okay. So meanwhile, the, the pillar of, of cloud stood between the chariots and, and Israel. And uh, this story actually happens at, at nighttime. Uh, sometimes we scrub that detail out when we teach it to our kids or how Hollywood presents it to us. This is a nighttime scene. And per God's orders, Moses, he raises his staff and a strong east wind comes. Ruach blows across the water. The, the wind, wind blows. The, 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 the waters are divided. And the Israelites are able to pass through the divided waters, and it's dry ground. It's amazing. The Egyptian chariots were eventually able to start pursuing, but it came with difficulty because God jammed their wheels and threw them into confusion. And so this happens overnight. Everyone's able to pass over to the other side. At daybreak, Moses holds up his staff. The waters become undivided, and the Egyptian army is swallowed up there are no survivors. And then Exodus chapter 14 concludes like this. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. The people pass to the other side. The exodus, the deliverance, the rescue, the salvation of the Lord. God provides a way out from a life of sin that was, that was uh, a, a life that was bound up with sin and evil and oppression and death. And just it's a hard life being a, a slave, the, the workload, no more making bricks, no more slave masters. Like, like this is amazing. God provides a way out. The great exodus. And so now let's, let's turn our gears a little bit. Having considered this exodus story, let us now consider the story with the gospel of Jesus Christ in mind. We think about Christmas, the incarnation. We think about Good Friday and Easter especially Good Friday on the cross, God provided a greater way out of sin and death. And so if you'd like, I invite you to check out your handout. There, there's five points we're going to walk through now as we switch gears. Having considered the Exodus story, let's now think about the gospel. Five points for us. The first one is this. Returning to God is to return to or, or remember the historical event on which your identity and faith is founded. The cross of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What that means is this. Any return to Jesus without being shaped by the message of the cross and the message of the resurrection. Okay. Coming back to Jesus, but missing the cross and missing the meaning of the resurrection and new creation and, and the meaning of deliverance here, we will misunderstand grace and redemption. What we'll end up with is a bunch of religion. 
to, to come back to God, to come back to, to Jesus, to, to try to seek out some sort of spiritual, uh, you know, um, situation, but we just really don't grab a hold of the cross and resurrection. If we miss the center of the gospel, then we'll miss, our, we'll miss the boat in our worship life, our devotional life, our missional life. The Exodus story today and the story of the cross in the gospel, it shows God's demonstration of his loving compassion, his restorative justice, his redemption, Exodus. So, yes, we need to return and remember and retell and reflect on this story again and again. It's not just a story of the past, but it is the story that we are in. It is our past. It is our present. It is our future. In the Christian faith, there are certainly pockets and spaces for innovation. The, the expression of our faith. And whether, you know, like, like music, for example, if we're like um, just playing a drum and lifting up our hands or it's organ music or guitar and piano, whether it's like praise and worship or some old hymns written back in the 1800s, like, like our expression of our faith can look different. And I love that we are made in the image of a creator. And so let's reflect our creator. Let's be creative in our faith. There is room for innovation, except there are some things where God's like, no, okay, you don't need to innovate this. It's more like painting with numbers, like with the Passover meal. Here's the meal. This is what happened. This is what I want you to remember. This is what it means. This is how I want it to shape your life. This is who you are. This is your identity. Now go be a light to the world, okay? It's like painting with numbers. This is what I want you to know and remember. You don't need to innovate here, right? The gospel story, it's, it's the same. What God has done for us. There isn't some unknown secret wisdom that we need to try to discover. No, we go back and we retell the story again and again and again. It's about who he is and what he has done for us. Returning to God is to return to the historical event on which our identity and faith is founded. And so we go back to the cross and resurrection. And with that, point number two is that it is there at the foot of the cross, at the empty tomb. That's where renewal begins. Just as Israel needed to be reminded of the good news of God's deliverance, we too, we need that cross story. We need the, the old, old story. We need, we need resurrection to renew our minds and mission. How to do this Jesus thing in America. How to, how to do this, this Christian thing in Plymouth Meeting. How to be the church. How to live on mission. What do we do? We go back. We go back. Renewal begins with Jesus, his cross, his resurrection. We need to keep the good news ever before us. We go back to the start. We go back and say, Jesus, take me back to when you first met me, like that, like that first love situation. I, I just want to go back there. Take me back. Let me remember. Renew me. And so we need to continuously, point number three, rely 
on Jesus' work. His work for us. What he did for us. He is the Passover lamb who was slain for us. Jesus inaugurated a new exodus for all people. And so just like the first Passover lamb, we trust and rely on Jesus' shed blood. We trust that we will be protected from death. He gave his life so that we could have life. And so in light of Passover, in light of the cross and resurrection, what else can we do? Well, point number four here. Remove the old yeast from your life. In the Bible, yeast is a neutral term. It can be a positive and and negative thing. It's a negative thing for us today. All right. Get the old yeast out of your life. There are things that are evil, dangerous. If it's not taken care of, it can multiply and it can infect the whole lump of dough. The old you, the old self, old creation, the shadow self, you know, the boogeyman, boogie, boogie woman version of yourself that likes to remind you of how terrible you are at being a human. That old self, that needs to go. That set, set the old aside. It needs to be crucified because there is new life in Christ to be lived. Remove the old, yeast, the old yeast from your life. In the New Testament, Paul picks this up in 1 Corinthians 5. Paul says to the church, Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch of, of dough as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What does all that mean? Church, you are called to be flat bread of new creation. You are called to be flat bread of new creation. You're not supposed to be a lumpy piece of dough that is just swollen with evil and sin and all these things that infect us. Flat bread. Flat bread of new creation. That's what Paul is calling us to because we're getting rid of the old. In this analogy, we're getting rid of the old. No yeast to make us all swollen. We are flatbread of new creation. So returning, renewing, relying, removing yeast. We do this through prayer. Sharing our hearts with others. Times of reflection. Might be with others, might be with journaling, devotional time, right? When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is the Passover meal with a new twist, okay? Like communion time, our worship time, whether corporate or individual, sharing your testimony, other spiritual disciplines, you know, we are invited to practice these things. Bringing things before God, removing that, that, that yeast, relying, renewal, returning. And we do all of this in grace. Point number five, respond to God's grace in obedient faith. God says you don't need to be bound by Pharaoh anymore. You don't need Pharaoh to tell you how to live. You don't need the old yeast of Pharaoh to contaminate your life. Before Jesus, 
before we meet Jesus, we are filled to the brim with sin and we're totally spiritually dead. But in Jesus, a new exodus has been made. We are made alive. God makes us alive and it's totally his work and we don't add anything to this. Saving is completely his idea. It is his gift from start to finish. It is all about him. It is all about his grace. It's his exodus. It is his redemption that he provides. New creation and Jesus Christ is here. Today is the day of salvation and you get to respond to this grace right now, every single day. Respond to his grace can respond to his grace today. It is by grace you are saved. In a couple moments, we're going to be singing this. Dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. Dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. It is by grace we are saved. And so church, we're going to close in a song. We're going to have an awesome picnic. But right now, I send you out. You get to go put God's redemption, sanctification, God's exodus, new creation, flatbread of new creation. Go put that on display. You are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for being a covenantal God. A God who wants to be in relationship, the, the, the coming together of two parties, this, this idea of covenant, this idea that you, you had a covenant with Israel. You have a covenant with Israel. You have a covenant with us, a new covenant in Jesus Christ, that you are the one who seeks us out. In the garden, we were the ones who hid. You are the one who is seeking us out, and you continue to seek us out. We ask that you would continue to unfold redemption before us. Send the cleansing flood. Plunge us into that victory. Be our exodus. Be our victory. And set our hearts on this trajectory towards blessing, shalom, Sabbath, walking with you, being your light to the world, doing the good works in which you prepared and advanced for us to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.